Hi, Tara. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, too. I'm really excited again because today we're going to introduce the audience to our friend, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Mayor. Hi, Tara. So happy to be here today. We're happy to have you. Yes, we are. <laughs> what we'd like to talk about is your life better because you've participated in Conscious Connection? And how did you learn about Conscious Connections? Oh, okay. Question number one. Yes. I can't imagine my life without this participation. I've done a lot of inner work. I've done a lot of outer work for decades, like many of us. This is an accelerator. This takes it to a whole new level in a way that is unique. What I love about it is just that you know you're constantly supported. You know that whatever you're trying to manifest, you have our back. And everyone involved in a conscious connection circle has your back. I love the fact that I know that people are holding the intentions that I am trying to manifest. They believe it until I can believe it for myself. When you're trying to step out of your comfort zone and to do things that you have never done before, you know, I love Mayor's term, the judgment dragons. Like, who do you think you are trying to do this? And sometimes I feel like they're attacking me. And you come in and you just kind of like quiet the chorus. You allow us to understand the purpose that those judgment dragons serve in our lives, but then to not let them take over and to stop us in our tracks or to make us feel like you can't do that because I have a whole circle of people who know that I can. That's why I love participating in this. If I could do it 24 seven, I just think about where my life would be. And then you asked about some of the intentions that I had set. I am stepping into a nationally prominent role as an advocate, educator, and agitator on behalf of the first responder community through a set of circumstances I'm sure that we'll talk about in this podcast. But that was something that up until my participation in the Conscious Connection Circle, I don't think I would have really stepped into because it would have like pushed all my buttons. It would have made me feel like, who are you to talk about this? We all suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm being too big for my britches. And it's like, wait a second. No, you are the embodiment of Marianne Williamson saying, who are we not to shine? Who are we not to be examples for others in our lives about what's possible? Every time I participate in a circle and I hear what other people are doing, it emboldens and empowers me to move forward and to go, oh, they did that. I can do that. Oh, they manifested this dream trip. I can do that. Oh, they're actually charging what they're worth. Wow, what a concept. <laughs> I love everything that this group is about. And I kind of stumbled into it. I mean, Mary and I met through a different set of circumstances and I was always intrigued by her energy. Anytime I would walk into the room and she was there, she was just this little vibrating, radiating person. And we didn't really get to know each other until after December 4th of 2020. Mayor reached out to me when a community that I had relied on for support basically told me to sit down and shut up. And I don't do that very well. That was really when I started to learn more about conscious connections. Mayor 
did something that still makes me cry when I talk about it. So let me backtrack because our, our listeners don't know on December 4th of 2020, my husband, Chris was on his way to go pick up groceries. We were about to have another COVID lockdown and three robbery suspects were fleeing from police. Chris was at an intersection, the light turned green, the robbery suspects ran the red light, T-boned our car, pushed the car 30 yards sideways down the street. The driver's side door where they hit Chris was in the middle of the car. So Chris bled out and died at the scene. That changed my life, obviously. But what was so powerful about that is that I had met Mayor previous to this, and I didn't know that she was doing it from the conscious connections perspective, but she sent me a card that said I was supported and loved every week for an entire year. And she held me in such a way that I got through truly the most traumatic event of my life that just opened up my heart in a way I didn't even know that was possible. So when she invited me to do the living intentions, I was like, that sounds really cool. Let's try that. Not knowing that it was going to totally change every other aspect of my life. That's how I came to know about this. As a result of Chris being killed, I had no real experience with the first responder community. We're both civilians. I delved in and discovered how difficult, demanding, and dangerous their work is, and that they're grossly understaffed. They work in horrific situations. They endure unbelievable trauma on a regular basis. And there are very few citizens advocates out there speaking up on their behalf. So I founded a 501c3 called Restoration Ranch Colorado. I purchased a residence for myself that's a 40 acre ranch and started inviting first responders and their families to come up and be my guests at the ranch. That program has just grown exponentially. We also have another program called Valor Vacations because I had three robbery suspects, three trials. I couldn't get up to our vacation property in Maine. So I called the Lakewood PD and said, how do I donate time to your agents at my property? And was told, we have no idea. Nobody's ever asked us that question before. So now we have properties available to first responders where they make a donation to our 501c3. They get a vacation in return at a significant discount. And that program, again, has just grown exponentially. My goal before I die is to have a respite facility for first responders in every state in the United States and to have 10,000 properties in Valor Vacations program. That gives me chills just to hear you say it. Me too. Yeah, (laughs) that's really big. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. And I think that that's what's so important. You guys are the container that can hold these dreams and you take it to a whole new level and it's a safe space to dream that big. I mean, usually it's people like are telling you, you can't possibly do that. You don't have the skills to do that. You've never run a 501c3. You don't know what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, I'm building the airplane and flying it at the same time, (laughs) but I'm doing it in the company of other people who get what I'm doing. They're doing the same things in their life. 
And that's what makes this so exciting and such an incredible opportunity. I'm hoping that your podcast becomes number one just because of the work that you're doing and how you're sharing your love and light and energy and resources and wisdom with people because it's so desperately needed. You can just rock. Oh, thank you, Catherine. I, I appreciate that. Looking from the outside in, what I know is how incredibly traumatic losing your spouse is. Yes. And then you add the circumstances in which it happened. Right. I was able to see how you rose from the ashes and noticed all of the first responders, because when you say first responders, can you tell the audience what that means? Because what I think of when I think of first responder is a firefighter or a policeman, but there's so much more than that. Thank you for the opportunity to clarify that. We include in the first responders, everyone who's involved in what I call the traumatic event life cycle. So that's dispatch, fire and EMS, law enforcement, including corrections officers and park rangers. We also include emergency department and ICU personnel because after the aftermath of a natural disaster or crime or traffic accident or whatever, they're the ones that take care of the people who are injured and have to nurse them back to health. And after COVID, we all started to recognize how important those people are in our lives. We also include victims advocates because they listen to the stories. And then most uniquely, we include members of the judiciary. I was at a charity golf tournament and had a judge come up to me and say, you are the first person in my 30 years on the bench to recognize I am traumatized by what I do. So that is what makes us unique. Yeah, there are other programs you know, for firefighters or for police officers, and especially for the military. There's nobody that treats everybody. That's a misnomer. We don't treat. We offer opportunities for relaxation, respite, and a place to recharge. We are not a mental health facility. That's not what it is. It's just come to this beautiful 40-acre property, be there with your family or whoever you choose to be with, and you have that place to yourself. Where on earth can they do that? If they go on vacation, they're dealing with other people all the time. This is an opportunity for them to have solitude and safety, which they don't get. Um, when I was discussing the concept of this with command staff, I had a guy look at me and say, it's a great idea, Catherine, but how are you going to keep my guys safe? And he was in law enforcement. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, how do I know someone will not follow them to your property and murder them? And my jaw dropped. I was like, I never would have thought of that. And his response was, I have to think like that 24-7, 365. That was like my first wake-up call. Wow. Whoa. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or, you know, I, we had kids come up over the summer of our, of our first year. We're 18 months old now. And I had two teenage daughters of law enforcement officers come up to me and say, we need to hang out with other kids like us. And that was when they started talking, they just amongst themselves while they were in front of me, they were talking about, well, what's your code word? I'm like, code, what are you talking about? 
oh yeah, our family has a code word that when dad says that, we get up and we leave wherever we are immediately. We have a predetermined rendezvous point. We know that that means get the hell out of here because either there's somebody that they've convicted that's in the restaurant with them or they recognize, you know, this is not a safe space for us to be in. And I had no appreciation of that. My experience is a lot with law enforcement simply because I developed such a great relationship with the police department that handled Chris's case. But just understanding what they go through, I just, I had no idea. And then I listened to a firefighter jokingly refer to them as blue canaries. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, they're the ones that we send in first to secure the scene, but they're going in without respirators, without hazmat suits, that's why we call them blue canaries. That just appalled me. I mean, what other profession would we put up that with that? Their statistics are horrible. Law enforcement usually has a heart attack at 42. Their average age of, of death is 57. Their post-retirement survival rate after COVID has dropped from five years to 18 months. These are people who are being used up and spit out by the system. Like, I'm a well-educated woman. Did I know this? No. Does most of the public understand what they go through? No. I have been uniquely tasked, and I believe this is my date with destiny. I mean, the way this whole thing unfolded, there I can't describe it as anything else. But this is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life, is to advocate and educate on behalf of this remarkable group of people who show up for us in life's unimaginable circumstances and do it willing. My curiosity has been raised when yes. the girls were having the conversation about wanting to talk to other kids whose dad or mom is a first responder. What did you do with that information? Oh, I'm a woman of action. <laughs> and the minute I heard that, I thought we could do something about that. We created the first in the nation's kid camps for teenage children of first responders. We held them last year at the property. Now we're looking to take it national. Again, I love how I, you understand this because it's part of the living intention work. You put something out there and you hold it in vibration and you know that it comes to you. I want this to go national. Well, who drops into my lap? But a woman contacts me because she's bringing her daughter to camp in Colorado. Turns out that she was the lead therapist for the first responders at Sandy Hook Elementary. Oh, wow. Yeah. She comes to my property. We have lunch. We start talking. Now she is one of the people who will be involved in taking this nationally. Another therapist who's more local contacts me. He's like, I can provide the therapist to facilitate that because obviously that is a mental health issue. So they did that. Now, like I said, we're looking at facilities to hold this in 2024 where we can have hundreds of teenagers from across the nation be able to come to this camp. And that to me is so important because nobody thinks about the extended families of the first responders. Their divorce rate is roughly 75%. They bring the stress and trauma home with them. 
to be a spouse of a first responder is a gauntlet that most people don't survive, unfortunately, and those that do, they're different. You become a first responder because you want to help people. And then you are changed by that experience. It's just something that calls to me. It's just something that keeps me up at night going, what else can we do? So yeah, that's one of the programs that we have. I would say something, but I have to take my jaw up off the floor to get some the words out. Like, it's just, it's like, is there anything you can't do? The minute you see a need, you're like, that need is being unmet. I'm somebody who can meet this need. And here's how we're going to do it. I think that's so inspirational because there's so many people who have those same moments where they're like, gosh, this is an unmet need in our society. I sure wish something could be done about that. Uh And you're the one who's doing something about that. And it's just awesome to witness. I am in awe. I have recognized in my later years of life is that Everything I have done in my lifetime has brought me to this moment. Every skill, every experience, every lesson I've learned, every opportunity that has presented itself is bringing to bear on what I'm doing right now. This is not by accident, but to be able to step up, you're right. Most people see the door and they go, oh, it's a door. What do I do with it? I see the door and I walk through it. And I've always done that. I remember one time I was looking for a job. I worked in advertising and public relations for a number of years. And I sent out my resume because I was searching for a new position. And I had the head of an agency call me and say, I don't have a job for you. I just have a question. And I was like, what's that? And he said, how have you gotten to do all of the things that you've gotten to do? And I said, oh, that's easy. When the door opens, I walk through it. And he was like, oh, one of the things that I like about conscious connections, it's like, you guys are door openers. No, you don't open them. You just help us blow them down. That's really what is so powerful about this is that your vision for what your clients want to create is so powerful. You give me words to be able to say to myself through my living intention statements. That was one of the most powerful things. And to have that list created for me, because as a writer, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. But you took it to a whole new level. And you gave me wording that it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I'll take more of that, please. Now, to be able to call in people who can help us with the funding of the expansion of this project, to call in people who have vacation properties that they can donate to our Valor Vacations program, to be able to connect me with people just because you're holding the intention for me to make those connections. I've been interviewed on so many podcasts now, and I welcome that opportunity Some of them have subscribers of hundreds of thousands of people. As I say, I'll talk to anybody anytime about what I do and why I do it. My living intention statements back up what I'm trying to do. And they also ground me because oftentimes like I'll start spinning. Things are happening so quickly. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? 
And I was like, you pull out your living intentions list and you read it. One of the things that I did was to involve my subconscious by recording me reading my living intentions list. And then I listen to it as I'm falling asleep. So as people go, how do you do what you do? I'm using every tool at my disposal. And this process is a huge part of it. When we tell people the story of how all this came together, I mean, the property that I bought, the 40 acre property was not for sale. <laughs> I bought it. When I came up with the idea, I really didn't have the money to do it. Then my father passed away and left me an inheritance that I used to be able to purchase the property. When people go, how do you do this? This is an integral part of that process. Having people who can see the vision, hold the vision, help me articulate the vision so that it becomes reality. I was able to find a project that could hold all the love that we had for each other in that. And that's what gets me up. You have to find a way to take your tragedy and turn it into a triumph. And that is through passion and purpose. I see far too many people who go through tragedies just get stuck and stay there. So when the victims advocacy group contacted me and it's like, we have these support groups. I said, I'll never come. And they were like, what? <laughs> I was like, nope, I won't be there. I said, I do not need to be around people who are stuck in their tragedy. No disrespect to them, but that is not who I am, where I want to be, or what I'm going to do. I need to move into action. And I did. I've witnessed it. And what I think the audience also needs to know is you don't get excused from your human experience <laughs> of suffering the losses. No, you still navigate that. Right. You don't get a free card out just because you're helping no. No. the first responder community. Oh, heck no. I am unusual in that I have dealt with extensive grief and what is referred to as complicated grief. I lost my mom when she was in a car accident when I was 22. She was in a coma for four and a half years before she died. I then lost my 14-year-old nephew to a brain tumor, followed by his mother, my sister, who passed away six months after he did from an undiagnosed cancer. I lost my brother when he was 57 because he had a blood clot that went to his heart after a surgery. I've lost my stepmother. I've lost my best friend. I've lost my father and I've lost my husband. I learned that you feel like you've been filleted and laid open for three days and then you know you're going to survive. After my dad passed, I remember standing in his house, literally holding on to the stove in his kitchen and saying, God, let me bend and not break. And that's what happened. It was like, I got the support I needed. And it was very shortly after that time, Mayor contacted me and said, let's do a living intentions list. And I was like, what's that? I had done intentions and affirmations and everything, but not like this. It took it to a whole new level. And that's what I would encourage your listeners to understand. This is not what you have done in the past. It just calibrates at a whole new level. And let's face it, we all want things and we need people to support us in wanting those things. 
we just need to dream bigger dreams and bigger dreams are actually easier to manifest than little ones. If you do a small leap forward, there's multiple ways to get there. If you're going for a big badass dream, there's one, maybe two ways to get there and your path is crystal clear. Mayor encouraged me, go for the big ass dream. Make this national. Okay, I'm going for it. And I have the support now. Would you be open and willing to share a few of your living intention statements with us? Absolutely. Mayor will tell you I'm an overachiever. You're supposed to have 50. I have 114. <laughs> <laughs> when you want to really do something enormous, you have to have enormous living intentions. The very first one that we wrote was, I am evoking positive change in myself and others through creativity and spirituality. I radiate positivity and magnify my best qualities and the best qualities in others. I am uplifting, empowering, nurturing, and inspiring. And I think that's me. You know, absolutely. I, mean, I live that. So let's go to some of the other ones. They're just so cool. I'm leveling up and stepping into my future self. All of the hard work and life lessons learned have paid off. I am the successful individual I have envisioned. My vision is now reality. And so my vision for what's happening with first responders is definitely a reality. And I can't wait to see where it goes from there. I am someone who coaches others on how to navigate tragedies and spin the experiences into gold. I am a living example of the power of love, forgiveness, compassion, and faith. I am the founder of Restoration Ranch Colorado, very soon to be called Restoration Ranch USA, because we won't just be in Colorado, <laughs> and Valor Vacations. These innovative programs attract extraordinary people to make them successful. It is a delight and a blessing to be the executive director and I am recognized nationally for my accomplishments. I do this work from a place of service, love, and gratitude. That just says it all. This is the one that I stumble over, but Mayor just keeps on telling me this. I am someone who generates more than a billion dollars a year. My brain goes, what? <laughs> and Mayor's like, no, yeah, that's what you're going to do. I was yes, like, hey. I, I'm positive. I know it. You, your intention to have first responders cared for <laughs> by citizens in every state in the United States and maybe worldwide, but if we just concentrate on the United States, that will take billions of dollars. And it's not billions of dollars that you personally generate. It's living intentions at its yeah. example collectively. Right. Part of what I want to know around this is I have $5. Can I contribute with $5? I don't need to have the million or the billion to contribute. Maybe I have a property that can be a piece of it. Maybe I am a first responder parent who has a teenager who I know needs support. Right. Tell, tell us, how can we support you? Oh my gosh. Thank you for that question. 
Yes. Does $5 make a difference? Absolutely. We have a campaign that's going on in February, and I realize that this is going to drop at the end of the month, but it's called Show First Responders Some Love. And you can make a $5 donation to Restoration Ranch Colorado on the coloradogives.org website. We deliver something called a SMAC card. SMAC stands for Small Messages of Affirmation, Caring, and Kindness. It was started by a woman during COVID when her photography business tanked. And the caretaker couple that I work with knew her and we created the first first responder smack card deck. We came up with these really great little sayings like Kevlar looks awesome on you. <laughs> or <laughs> one of the ones that really stuck with me is burnout burns others. Mm. And to recognize that. We also have some that say, that was a hard call. I hope your next one is easier. We have these messages that, again, when you give them to somebody, and, and it's really fun to go up to a police officer or a first responder. I did this to some county sheriffs that were going into a meeting, and I'm can I smack you? And they were like, what? And I'm like, here, it's a smack card. <laughs> Just those little things. And on the back of that is information about how to get in touch with us at Restoration Ranch Colorado and just add a .com to it. And that's our website. So yeah, $5 makes a difference. To keep on doing what we're doing, we need to generate about twelve dollars to $15,000 a month. That can be a heavy lift if you're trying to do it alone. So one of my intentions is to be able to ask people for help. I don't do that very well. I've been a lone wolf for most of my life. Asking for help for me was always a sign of weakness. Now I understand it's a sign of strength because this is far too big for me to do alone. So if your listeners know someone that would be beneficial for me to be acquainted with in terms of the support or knowledge that they have that they could impart to us, we welcome that. Dollars are always good. I mean, when you think about the cost of a Starbucks, Starbucks or help a first responder, I hope you choose help a first responder. But we have other initiatives that we're doing as well. When I opened up my property, I was like, nobody's coming. Did I just make a million dollar mistake? I, I didn't understand what was going on. So I dug a little deeper and that was when I discovered the statistics about how woefully understaffed first responder agencies are nationwide. And if the general public knew how close we are to being in staffing levels that you call 911 and either nobody comes or it's an hour or two hours before somebody can show up, I think it would curl their hair. That pissed me off. When I get pissed off, I go do things. <laughs> I spoke with one of my board members at the time who was the former deputy director of public safety from the state of Colorado. And I said, I need to talk to your boss. So she put me in touch with the director of public safety. And I said, I want to tackle recruiting and retention and make Colorado number one in the nation for holding on to and caring for our first responders using health and wellness as a platform. And he was like, go for it. So we have a series of initiatives that are right now in the conversational stage because you have to build awareness of it. Those four initiatives include a regional daycare facility 
for first responders that is open 24 hours a day. The number of single parent first responders who are on a call and at three in the morning, in addition to figuring out how they're going to like navigate through what they're doing, have to find a place for their kid and somebody to take them to school the next day. I was like, that's ridiculous. Municipalities in general won't do that because of the liability issues. And they're like, yeah, nope, we're not going to do that. And a 24 hour one, yeah, nope, we're not going to do that. And I'm like, okay, then we'll figure that out. So we're looking at that a grab and go meal program to make, again, food available to the first responder community that's healthy. And then perhaps would allow them to take 20 minutes to actually go do a walk, which would drop their cortisol level, which would lower their heart attack risk. And the need for training programs for first responders and specially designed gyms that allow them to train for what they do on the job because so many of their injuries come from doing things like jumping over fences, getting in altercations, or having people slam into them. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen, but we give them gyms with treadmills and weights. That isn't what they need. They need an American Ninja Warrior style gym that allows them to train in ways and to learn how to do it safely. And then last but not least, because Colorado is a very expensive place to live, and there are many people who would love to come and enjoy our beautiful lifestyle here, but they just can't afford it. So I would like to go after housing dollars to be able to create a stipend program to give people moving to Colorado to fill a first responder position, the opportunity to have their housing subsidized for a period of time to allow them to get on their feet, a spouse to find a job, to do all the things that they're going to need to do. I think way outside way outside the box. And I think that that's something as a civilian that is a real gift to the first responder community. I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. I just need to make people aware that there are solutions out there and that we can figure out how to do this to support this vital community that frankly will suffer if we lose them. It's so big. Everything that you bring to the table is magnified from a lot of people who I play with. And I'm curious, how does the support of Conscious Connections actually support you as a person? In several ways. First of all, just knowing that what I want to do is not crazy or that I am wrong for wanting to do this, or that I am incapable of doing this. Just having you hold the vision, having the whole Conscious Connections community know what I'm about and what I'm doing, that is extremely powerful. It just opens up doors to people that I, I would never, never be able to connect with. But because I'm in this circle and people are supporting it, either directly or indirectly, I was interviewed by Todd Blylevin, He's a former major league baseball player, but he had heard about me from somebody that I did a podcast with. He interviewed me. Todd decided to go take his wife to Vegas and to go to a country concert. Well, it happened to be the Route 81 concert that the guy, the shooter at the Mandalay Bay mm -hmm. opened fire. Todd pulled 10 people out and several of them died in his arms. 
he then got involved in this whole, oh my God, I've been involved in a mass shooting and that totally changed him. And his podcast called I'm Going In is about how you triumph over tragedy. How do you take that experience and make it better? How do you do the work that needs to be done to help you get healthy and whole again? Because you can, that just dropped into my lap. And people just keep on dropping into my lap. But it's because of the energetic signature that is being emitted around this project that makes people want to be a part of it. When they hear about it and it's like, she's doing what? How can we be a part of this? You know, how can we bring it to our community? What, what else can we do? Just being part of this Conscious Connections community opens up doors and opportunities that I would not have otherwise. But it's just like, how do, how do these, how do you buy properties that aren't for sale? How do you get interviewed for national podcasts when you don't even know the people? Um, that's what this is all about. It is a container to hold your hopes and dreams and a community to help you see that through. The most important part to me is accountability. So when I say I'm going to do something, I know that my group is going to very lovingly hold me accountable to make sure I get done what I say I'm going to get done. And then if I don't do it to help me explore what's holding you back, is it fear? Okay. Is it that you don't know what to do? Let us help you figure out what the next steps are. Because so many times we get immobilized because it's like, I have no idea how to get from here to here, but that's what this group does. It helps us figure that out. Again, I just can't say enough good things about what you guys are doing. It takes this to a whole new level. It really does. And it certainly has allowed me to experience things I wouldn't have experienced, meet people I wouldn't have met, grow in ways that I never thought I would grow but in a safe container. That to me is like the, the crux of this is that this is a safe space. And when your judgment dragons come out and they rumble, you know, it's like, get back in line. It's not get back in line. It's feed them love. The judgment dragons are always with us. It's <laughs> filling them with love. Yes. So we can do it different. Instead <laughs> of choosing our fear, we choose to bravely step into the unknown. Knowing Absolutely. that you're Conscious Connection Circles has your back. Yes. You're really not alone. No, not at all. And I feel that. That is palpable. Uh, you drop messages of encouragement from time to time. And it's like, and it always comes at the moment that I need it. Because again, we are all connected. Well, that's why it's Conscious Connections, because we're consciously connected. And as a result, you pick up on when things aren't going well, or I might need an encouraging word or a phone call or a Zoom call or just something, a resource. You're always there providing that. And that is just extraordinary. And that has not been my experience in other programs. They're all different. They all provide different things. What you provide is unique and special and just off the charts. I am so in appreciation to have found something that gives me the wings that I need to be able to soar to the heights that I plan to go to. And to know that if my wings aren't working, you lift me. I don't have to worry about it. I can just keep on soaring. 
and there's no, she's getting too big for her britches. Who does she think she is? It's like, no, go for it, girlfriend, and show us how to do it. I, I'm excited by the possibilities. I have no idea. Well, that's not true. I do have an idea of where this is going, but the how it unfolds, I don't know. That's the other thing that I love when Mir says it all the time. It's like, the how is not up to you. <laughs> like, okay, fine. Because you know, I'm a control freak. I want to like micromanage every aspect of it and be able to say, yeah, Mir often used the analogy of bamboo. You know, bamboo spreads its roots underground for years. And then in the seventh year, it just like shoots up and... I'm constantly like digging up the roots going, are you alive? Are you working yet? What are you doing? I'm over the course of the last couple of years that I've been doing this, I do it less frequently. I allow the bamboo to grow. I allow the seeds to germinate. But what I also understand through this is that where my mind is, is where my life is going. So it's made me be so aware of how quickly I slip back into the, oh, I don't have the money to do that. Or no, I don't know anybody that can help me with that. And it's like, that's not true. Those are not true statements. We live in an abundant universe. There is money all around us. It doesn't have to be ours. I can use other people's money to do things, but I really like to attract it to myself. So I have some control and direction over it. <laughs> Being able to say, you're talking BS belief systems that are not empowering you, are not supporting you. And you lovingly call me out on that. I've had Mayor call me out on BS more than once. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm doing my <laughs> violin solo. You won't let me wallow in the tragedy. And I am so grateful for that because in reality, I have every right to have crawled into a bottle or an addiction, or depression, or misery, but it's a choice. And I don't say that disparagingly to people who are in that space, but I didn't realize that's not true. Because the day Chris died and I was interviewed for a newscast, I said, I choose not to have this ruin my life. It is a choice. And every day, every minute of the day, we're either choosing to go in the directions of our dreams or we're choosing to veer away from it. Every thought, every choice has a trajectory. So now I'm much more conscious about, oh, is this thinking taking me closer to what I want or is it moving me away from it? It's that awareness to the minute level is making a difference. And it gets me so excited because I wasn't aware of that before. It's like, no, you have a choice in all of this. That's why I, I won't even call myself a victim. I hate the word. I am not a victim and I'm not a thriver or a survivor. I'm an overcomer. That's what I am. I have overcome challenges. I have overcome tragedy. And for me, that's the word that works. I'm not a victim. I'm not a survivor. I'm an overcomer. And again, it's all a choice. It is a choice, and I am so glad you chose to play Conscious Connections with me. <laughs> yes, me too. Um, yeah. Your story is a lifeline for so many communities to know that they can do something 
right. for their first responders. Correct. They don't have to wait until they're in a tragedy. No. You're creating the systems in which we can take good care of our first responders now. So A, that they're there when we need them. Yep. And B, that every small action matters. Yes. yes. Small thoughts matter. Uh, it could be that they send you $5. Your intention is that billions of dollars are generated so that every state has the opportunity to support their first responders. Yes. And by giving the word out like we're doing today and talking about this, I would love to collectively hold the intention that an endowment comes that allows us to have the money to focus on the service rather than on the fundraising. I mean, I see that $5 million endowment coming and that would be enough money for us to keep running for years until we keep on and getting this going. Because like you said, it's the connections, it's the sharing of the story. It's seeing that I had an unusual reaction. I knew that I would need millions of dollars to make this happen. When my father passed, I inherited more than a million dollars, which I then used to buy the property. Chris and I didn't have kids. And I was like, how better can I take care of people than to do this for the first responder community? The money showed up, but I didn't have to sell my soul to do it and to do the whole victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And when you understand the suspicion and skepticism that first responders have towards the general public, just especially over the last six years, how things have declined. They think I have five heads because it's like, you're not like anyone we've ever met. And I'm like, well, I hope that's a good thing, you know, <laughs> um, because I do it differently. I see it differently. And the other thing I want you all to help me call in is like my next romantic partner, because I, I loved being married. I had a phenomenal marriage for 13 years with my husband. We just had a great marriage. I loved being married. I can't wait to find a partner who shares the passion for this vision, who understands what I want to do and who loves living in the mountains. Cause I, I am willing to hold that vision for you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You deserve yeah. to be happy. What you are bringing to our communities in the United States. There aren't enough words. I'm so grateful that you're willing to look at things differently, put your actions behind it and get the support when you're out there solo pioneering these ideas, because that can be scary and unfulfilled because what happens is it engages other people's judgment dragons the fear and I've seen the daggers of things thrown at you from other organizations and individuals. There are a few that seem to penetrate and get mm -hmm. in and yes. your own judgment dragons get into the rumble. Yep. And that's what I've seen in the conscious connections. Um, and part of what Catherine and I, we have a mini connection. It's a, a smaller group that meets every mm -hmm. single week. Mm -hmm. Been able in the mini version because you're changing things so quickly and so fast that that <laughs> the need to meet weekly is imperative yes. to the trajectory of right. what you 
expanding into the world? Yes. Let me speak to that so people understand how quickly things work because I drive my staff crazy and my board as well. They're amazing people, but my closest friends often say there's earth time and there's Catherine time. Several weeks ago, I met with the chief of police in Loveland, Colorado. They're going through a really tough time. He'd heard about the program, agreed to meet with me. We had a great conversation. He said, you really should talk to our mayor. So I come up with this idea of declaring February show first responders some love month. I come a week later after that meeting, contact the mayor and say, you know, I'd like to kick off this campaign in Loveland because Loveland is where people send their Valentines to be postmarked Loveland. Um, so I meet her up in Loveland. I tell her what I want to do. The mayor pro tem her number two happens to be in the coffee shop at the same time. And he gets dragged into the meeting. We talk about what we're doing and they're like, we're in. This was two weeks ago. So we have pulled this off. The mayor's like, I'll do a proclamation. I'm like, okay, cool. Then we get an offer to have a booth at the Sweetheart Festival. They donate it to us and people go, but how do you pull this off? Mm. <laughs> Conscious connections. That's how I do it. The ideas come and you just, you go with it. Do all of them pan out? No, of course not but that doesn't matter. You know, it's like, you just got to keep on trying new things and experiences. I have had a very unusual life. I lived in Belfast, Northern Ireland in the height of the troubles in the 1980s. The IRA blew up 2000 pounds of gelignite in a van across from the building I was working in. All of us had been evacuated, but I had PTSD after that. Only we didn't call it PTSD because we didn't know what PTSD was. It took me almost a decade to find successful treatment, but I've done EMDR. I've done brain spotting. I've done tapping. I've done all of the modalities that are now being integrated into first responder mental health and wellness. I can speak about it from a position of authority because I've done it. Everything in my lifetime has brought me together. I worked in video production. I worked in cable television. I worked in radio. I've been a writer. I've done interior design. It's just been, it's like, okay, I love the way my life works, but it's not the way everybody else's works, but it can be because I understand that what I put in here is what comes into to fruition. You take a thought, everything in life starts out as a thought, whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's a thought. And then what you do with it, the filters that you put it through, the people that you surround yourself with will either help it accelerate or decelerate. Sometimes thoughts need to be decelerated. Put the brakes on that. No, that's not where you want to go. Having this community is so incredibly powerful. Am I typical of your people that are in your group? Probably not 100%. But that doesn't mean that we all don't have room to shine. I know where I'm going and I'm comfortable with that. And I don't mind being the pilgrim on the path going, hey, we can all walk this. Let's all walk this together because mm -hmm. that's the power. That's that connection. And again, I love the name, conscious connection. Yeah, we all walk around unconscious and we know where those connections <laughs> lead us. And it's not where we want to go. So. <laughs> 
gaming on your part, conscious connections. That, it just, it says it all. I feel like we could have this conversation for eight hours and yeah. I would still have more questions and tell me more stories. But the launching of this phase of your life started with a real tragedy in your life. And yeah. I wonder how what you are doing now has impacted your healing around Chris's death. How has this really helped you accelerate the, the grieving process around this horrible tragedy? Yeah, that's a really, really good question because I don't want people to think that I have done this without the benefit of therapy. When Chris was killed, I had had a therapist for a number of years after my brother died and when my sister died. And I literally called her the next morning after Chris was killed. And I, so I said to her, I don't have time to bring somebody up to speed on my complicated grief. So I worked with her. Also having gone through the experience multiple times of losing someone, you understand it's a spiral. You understand that there are days that you're gonna be on your knees on the kitchen floor, sobbing your guts out. And then something magical happens. You learn to remember the experience, but not relive it. And that's how I knew I was healing, is I could talk about Chris and not relive the pain of that day. I can talk about it now in that. And, and there's some people that's like, oh my God, she's like, she hasn't dealt with this at all. Oh yeah, I have. I'm just on the other side of it. And so it's it has been through understanding the process. It has been through the phenomenal support of friends and family and community that has gotten me through this. But you're right. It's the passion and purpose that is the driving force now for my life. And it gives me such joy. If anybody had said to me, it'll be four years ago in December, losing my husband would make my life better, deeper, richer, more empowered, transformational. I would have said, you're crazy. Yeah, I, I'm just barely breathing. And yet, all of those things have happened as a result of Chris being killed. You know, nobody expects their husband to be murdered. And I consider vehicular homicide murder. Was it intentional? No, they didn't know they were going to plow into my husband. But nonetheless, my husband died. But now to be able to see that it's part of my life story, it was a date with destiny that moment. Because literally... Three seconds later or three seconds earlier, if Chris had entered the intersection, I wouldn't be doing this. None of this would be part of my life. So for it to have been that moment, that impact, that everything, and most especially the person who answered the phone when I called the non-emergency line and talked to dispatch and said, my husband should have been home an hour and a half ago and I'm getting worried. And they patched me through to a gentleman who literally changed my life. The way he talked with me, the way he walked me through, I didn't know it at the time. I'm thinking he's on the phone behind a desk at the PD. I did not know that that man had actively tried to save my husband's life. 
He had worked on Chris. He was part of the first responders team that came up on the accident. And when he said, Catherine, I could have had 50 pounds of gauze and I could not have stopped the bleeding. I was like, oh my God, I have to do something. I have to do something. Is everybody's story my story? No, but everybody has the opportunity to write their story in the way that's right for them. And I hope that they understand that, oh yeah, I hurt. Oh yeah, I grieve. But there's an opportunity to take it and to transform it into something magnificent. And I know with every breath in my body, every fiber of my being, that's what Chris wanted me to do. He's like, go for it. Go for it. Even in tragedy, there's gifts to be found. Yes. If you're willing to look for them. Yes. And it takes some people a while to get to that point. There is no correct timeline. And I think that that's, that's important to remember. Each person is on their own individual journey that's right and perfect for them. I just feel so blessed to have had all the pieces put in place in my life to give me the skill sets and the resilience to be able to say, I know I will survive this. I know I will get through this. And again, to have had conscious connections be such an integral part of that. I mean, Mare reached out to me right after Chris was killed. She was there, boom. And she has been with me every step of the way. She has watched the transformation. And she's seen me when I've been in not so great spaces too. It's not all sunshine and roses all the time. But right now in my life, about 90% of the time it is. And that to me is a miracle. Thank you for sharing your story. You're so welcome. We could talk for days. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) For the audience that's listening today, how can they learn more about your programs? If they go to restorationranchcolorado.com, that's our website has lots of information. We also have a Instagram page, RRC Insta, and we also have a Facebook page, Restoration Ranch Colorado. We would love you to follow us because that's where we post lots of information about what we're doing. But again, I just want to bring it back to conscious connections because you truly are unique and powerful, transformational. I just, I I just can't say enough good things about you. Just can't. Oh, Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure that you play with us. Um, And that we get to support your dreams and that you support ours. I mean, imagine people having Catherine support your dreams. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It it is taking everybody who plays with you to a new level. And we've given you the support to go to levels that you would not have reached alone. True statements. Absolutely true statements. I have a friend who's a coach and she says, when the tide comes in, all boats rise. That's really what you guys do. You're the tide. You're helping to lift us all up. This is not exclusive. Everyone can benefit from this. And I hope everyone will. I hope everyone will take advantage and check out your podcasts, check out your offerings, check out your upcoming workshops and courses that you're developing. They will change your life. Absolutely. I couldn't say it better. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
You're so welcome. It was my absolute pleasure to do this. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.